Hello friends, thanks for checking out the Mike Plantinka episode. We wanted to give you a heads up that Mike is an amazing family man, and with that, you can hear his recently turned one-year-old son, Kaysen, in the background a few times. It's not our best audio quality to date, but who could be mad with that little guy in the background and Mike giving an amazing interview? Thanks for your understanding, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome back, or welcome to, to Passing Dimes. My name's Josh Nickel, joining me, Dallas Keith. Good, you? Fantastic. Why are you so fantastic, Dal? Pretty excited to have this guest in our episode. I've been hounding this guy for a while now. Um, you know, pretty veteran guy, as they say. He's a national champion. He just took a fourth at Pan Am Games recently. He is a club owner in the Ontario Volleyball Association. That's a big one. Uh, he's been on the national team since he moved here full-time from beautiful Langley, BC. We'll talk about that. West Coast, best coast. <laughs> we go Bevo! Uh, welcome to the show, overall great guy, Mike Plantinga. Hey, Mike Plantinga. How's it going, guys? Better that you're here. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. It's, uh, it's nice to have you on the pod, finally. Sorry, just pausing baby screaming. Good segue. So, Mike, what's new? <laughs> uh, you know, I've just got a screaming baby at home. He's, uh, just turned one years old. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So you've been on the national team since 2011? Um, national team, yes, but I played Junior Worlds in 2010. So you've, you've been essentially in, in Toronto for the better part of almost 10 years now? Just about, yeah. Um, so, first thing, what brought you to uh, Toronto in terms of transitioning from a, a good BC player to um, joining the junior national team? It was in uh, Atlanta, Turkey, correct? Oh, yes, it was. Good, good memory or good research. Thank you. I'll take credit for both. <laughs> um, um, well, one year, and it's the only year I ever remember it, um, happening before or after, I've never heard of it since. Um, so when I was when I was 20 years old, second, I think it was first year of college, um, there was a tryout for the junior national team for beach uh, in BC. And my coach was like, hey, hey, like you might, you might like playing beach volleyball, why don't you go go to this so I go out, it is like pissing rain, like sideways wind. It was the most ridiculous conditions to have a tryout in, and it was awful. Um, but after the fact, um, Leonard was the coach at the time, and he's like, oh, like if you, if you move out to Toronto for the remainder of the summer, um, I may select you to go to Junior World Championships. And as a kid at that age, when you hear... You may be selected. It's like, I'm selected. I'm the guy going, no matter what. If I move, I'm, I'm there. So that happened in May. I packed up my bags, and I was in Ontario at the start of June. Um, I lived with my beach partner at the time, which was Will Sidgwick. Hey, friend of the show. Wild Bill. Wild Bill. Um, so I lived with him for the summer, um, and... I was not hooked whatsoever, but I was hooked to the beach game. Um, so then I played out, played out the summer, and then right after, right after I went to uh, Junior Worlds, I went back out to University of Alberta and uh, 
did my third year, third year post-secondary at University of Alberta. So we've had a lot of uh, Golden Bears on the pod. We've had a uh, friend of the show, Eric Matson, friend of the show, Ben Saxton, who likes to be known as super best friend of the show, Ben Saxton. And we have to say the full thing every single time. Um, Chris Tao. I was going to say, you said we had a lot, and I couldn't think of any, but yeah, we've had three. Well, now four. four. Um, and those guys have sort of nailed home the, the culture that Terry Danilik had with that program. You seem to be one of the only guys that threw your hands up and said, you know what, I'm out of here. What sort of prompted that move? Because for a lot of guys, like they really love that structure, and they really uh, enjoy the, that, that culture of winning there. Yeah, I uh, I think I had a different experience than than most guys that go there. Um, so my my first time out there, um, I, I I love Terry, I respect him, but I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a, the greatest experience in my year. Um, I went out and the, the first right after right after I told Terry that I was going to Worlds. He's like, okay, like he's like, I wish you the best. I hope you do the best. But we have our preseason, preseason stuff happening beforehand. Um, if you, if you're able to change your flight, if you lose out early, I'd love you to come, come back. And I said, Terry, like I, I, I respect that, but this is my first time ever playing international volleyball. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend my time here, and I'm not going to. Um, leave this opportunity early to come to the preseason so I think that kind of rocked the boat a little bit just to start um, and then it took a while to kind of catch up the speed of speed of the game because I was coming from one I just played a full season of beach um, which is obviously a lot slower than than indoor volleyball and uh, I also came from college going to university which it's a it's a huge speed up as well so it took me took me a couple months to kind of get up to speed about how fast the ball is going moving out the block and all this stuff so it took me a while to took me a while to find my legs um back in indoor and then kind of throughout the season we i only had one conversation with terry um like one-on-one and he was like hey like i really want you to focus on your passing because right now I think you're the best blocking left side that we have, but we need you to increase your passing. Otherwise, like we can't put you on the court as the left side. He's like, okay. So that's all. That's all I focused on. And we were statting practices, and I was never, I was never a perfect passer, but I was never a bad passer. So I would get like two, 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 three. One two two three two two one two two. So I was basically a two passer across the board. When it averaged out, I was like the third best passer on the team. But it was never three. It was always just twos. Um, so when I when that kind of came to came to season, I was getting frustrated with like, hey, like my passing average is just as good as other guys, but I'm not quite getting the same result um, and then when we, when we kind of had like the weaker opponents in our league um, I was really geared up and fired up to play against those teams because we it was home as well and I didn't get to play a single point um, and it was kind of really demotivating um, so 
the rest of the season kind of played through, and I was really lost in kind of my role on the team, and I thought I, I thought I would have a chance at playing, and I never really got a chance to step on the court and make an impact. So it, it was frustrating, but um, kind of near the end of regular season, I was like, you know what? Like, I, I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm really getting a chance here. I might as well go somewhere that I feel like I'm gonna have a chance. So um, I talked a little bit more with with Leonard and um, the beach national team out here. And uh, I had to go my separate ways. And when I had my conversation with Terry afterwards, I was like, you know what? Like, I, I'm just, I'm just dis- disappointed that I didn't get get a chance to really represent myself on on the court. And he's like, he kind of said, he's like, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I don't, I don't really want to play a guy who's not fully committed to the program. So I didn't really get a chance to play so it was kind of hard to hear but that's that's how it is but now now I'm here in Ontario. So you mentioned you spoke to Leonard a little bit did it help that there was already some BC athletes out here already I believe Jamie and Maverick and maybe Elizabeth Cordonier excuse me was out here for a summer on Shanice I think tried beach around 2009-10 before she committed indoor like did that help you or was it really just your conversation with Leonard and you wanting to change that really helped you kind of make the jump? It was kind of the fact that when I went to Worlds, I was really encouraged. I was, I was like, I've basically never played beach before. This is my first real season training, and I didn't feel like I was way out of my league. I was like, I, I feel like I could be like one of the top blockers here, and I haven't trained beach volleyball at all. So that was a big motivator, and then with the bad experience I had at U of A, um, I, I, yeah, talking, talking with Leonard, it wasn't, it wasn't so much the fact that other people did it. Um, it was the fact that, um, like I wanted, I wanted to make that change. Um, so that's the way I did it. So you're, you're a vet, I would say. You're probably one of the longer standing guys on the national team now. And, uh, but a lot of people don't know that you battled to get where you were. I remember, having conversations with you and you're, you know, you're bagging groceries to keep your head above the water and, yes. <laughs> you know, take us through that. You've had this sort of full transition from being a, almost a practice squad guy to being on the development team to, to now being, uh, you know, Canada three in the program. Yeah. Um, it was definitely not, uh, moving out here. I didn't, the only thing I knew was volleyball. Um, I didn't really know that many guys from the national team even. Um, so the only guys I knew was super best friend of the show, Ben Sachs. Hey. Um, I, I, lived with, I lived with him. Um, I actually lived in his one-bedroom place when he was on tour that summer that I committed to coming out here. And then we ended up moving in together. Um, and then I knew Simon... A little bit, uh, but in terms of like family, everything like I, you said it, I was I was not bagging groceries, but I was baking be- bread in the bakery of Superstore. It was not not <laughs> good times. Um, I think you were also but, waiting tables for a fraction of a second there too. Yeah, I, I was. Um, 
I was making bread. I was waiting tables. I was coaching till all hours of the night. I was doing everything I could to keep my head afloat. Um, and it was it was really tough because the the way that the system worked there is um, you it's it's similar to now. It's it was if you're not invited to the basically the senior training, you're not allowed to come. So we weren't allowed to come to any morning training. So all our training was in the afternoon at like four o'clock. So then I had to find a job that was before then. So I baked bread from five a.m. until about 2 p.m. and then straight from there go go to practice practice there from 4 till 6 and then I stayed afterwards at Downsview um, sometimes from 6 till 10 or 7 to 11 with some of the leagues there and then went home and started all over again um, so those were not not fun times and um, many conversations that I had with my family. Um, they said, Mike, you got to stop this, like stop this dream. Come, come home, get a real job and like move on. And that was more motivation for me to like, you got to keep going. You got to do this. Like you're, you're going to break through. And, um, every, every year, Dallas, you can attest to this because I had lots of conversations with you about every year that carding selection camp came around. It was they took they took ten guys. I was number eleven. The next year they took eight guys. I was number nine. The next year they took six guys. I was number seven. And it was year after year. Like I didn't know what to do, and I got. Every year around November, December, when those carding results came out, I was so taken back and distraught and wanted to quit and um, it was actually Ben, super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon. Yeah, you're starting to get it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, he kind of, he was like, he's like, you don't need the program. He's like, you can you can do what you want and just, just get better. If you get better, then the program's going to want you and, and if you get better without the program, then, then, you're, then you're fine. So I just kind of took that to heart and made sure I was doing all my work and taking all my boxes and really focusing on what I needed to. And the next couple of years I got carding and now I am where I am. Wow. Uh, I what, didn't, what, what, oh, go ahead. I, I'm glad you asked that question, Dallas. I wasn't aware of any of this at all. So it's kind of neat to see like... Everybody's got a story, Josh. The, the struggle that went into it because I think we we see that you you finished second in nationals last year. You, you've won nationals before. You went to Pan Am. Uh, you took a ninth at a fifth star. Like everybody's seen these these results you put up. Nobody knew you were up at five in the morning to go to work just so you could play beach volleyball. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I got I don't think I got carding until 2016. 2016 is the first year I got carding, and I moved out here in 2011. Wow! Right? You know how I know this? Because after you made the team, I was the guy who was 9th on the 8-man list and 10th on the 9-man list and 11th on yes. the 10-man list. Yes. <laughs> and you know what I did, Mike? You did the opposite. I called it a career. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm done with this. I'm not getting better. The program sucks. See you later. Yeah. 
So this is one question we like to ask people is uh, during that process, like, I, again, it's easy to look back now and say, wow, like it, it really paid off. But during those moments, like going four years uncarded, uh, there wasn't a lot of tournaments. So maybe you're not competing as much as you are. And when you are, you're not getting the results. Like, how did you really stay convinced that you were getting better and like the path was going to pay off? Um, I think it was a little bit different then because Norseca, there was quite a few Norseca events that were happening. And rather than being the um, trial process that it is now, it was selection process. So they would just kind of go down lists. So starting in, I mean, when I committed in 2011, I got to go to Bishu, um, the University Aid. Um, and then the next year, um, I got to go to a couple Norsecas. And then starting in 2013, I was, I was doing like, four or five Narcicas already. So I was I was getting the international experience um, without getting any of the funding for it. Um, and I was doing well enough on like the OVA tour and um, like the Vancouver Open to kind of justify the fact that I was doing okay. And really kind of a breakthrough moment for me was in 2013, um, Cam and I won nationals. Um, on home soil in Vancouver, and that was a real big breakthrough for me to be like, okay, like we got this, like we can, I can totally do this, um, and I was fully committed to it. Although, to quote Mr. Ed Drakich, um, there, no one will ever know that the top four teams at that tournament were not present. <laughs> no way. <laughs> So, that, so we I, have to we I have to hear never, this. I will never forget that line. I literally Cam and I celebrated our match point, and we were walking to our bench, and like our family was nearby, and Ed Drakich comes out and he's like, "Congrats, guys!" But don't don't worry, no one will know that the top four teams weren't here ten years from now. <laughs> For context, this is the technical director of the federation. Yes, and he said it. Not being malicious. He was trying to be nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In his mind, this was the smart thing to say. Yeah, yeah. It is not a not, not good time. <laughs> I mean, you won, but yeah, who cares? You won, but like, you're really not the best in Canada, by the way. <laughs> that was that was the same years that the McNamara's won their national championship at 16 years old. Yeah, we talked about that. I don't think that record's ever been broken. No, never. So the question popped up. Friend of the show, Garrett May, asked me. He's like, "Do you think that's more impressive, or John and Mark winning like eight straight is more impressive?" And uh, when John and Mark played, everyone had to play who was carded. Like they were coming back from closing ceremonies to make sure they made it to nationals in time. It was part of. The carding policy that they had to go. McNamara's winning at 16. 16. I see. I said that too. We'll have to throw it up because, to the Instagram poll. Because, because no one will know that the top teams weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, way to bring it back full circle. Yes. Um, I got a few questions though. We've sort of alluded to this in your opening. Um, in the past couple of years, you've had quite a significant change to your home life. You've gotten married. Uh, and you've had a kid, so first off, congratulations for both of those accomplishments. Thank you. Um, 
what is the biggest difference that you've noticed with your sort of playing career now having to take on the role as a husband and a father and a professional athlete? So how is sort of managing the tour, which, you know, even as a single guy or a guy in a relationship is a, is a hard thing to do. Now you've got a wife, now you've got a, a kid. What, uh, what comes about with that? like when you're dating or if you're if you're married when you're when you're away it's just it's your person to it's your person to talk to all the time when you're when you're away and it's kind of like your outlet and your your home um so that was always it wasn't it wasn't that big of transition to going from dating well on tour to being married on tour um so that's not a significant one but definitely Having Kaysen, my son, that that was a huge change. Um, I noticed as soon as, because he was he was born, and about I think it was three or four weeks later, I had to leave to go to China for an event, and that was a tournament that Aaron and I got ninth place, so it was the best best tournament that we we've, we've performed at, um, and it kind of having my son, it kind of gave me extra purpose or extra motivation to be gone because now it's not, I'm not away from my wife. It's like I'm away from my family and it's, it's a completely different mindset and it's like, this isn't, this isn't for fun anymore that I can just kind of like go out and kind of hang out on tour. It's like, I'm gone. I'm leaving my son, I'm not being able to see him develop and grow um, so that I can play beach volleyball. Um, now there's a lot more at stake, so it kind of kind of gave me, I want to say, an extra little edge because I had more motivation to play um, and perform when I was when I was out there. Nice, well said. Um, so how have you dealt with some of maybe the challenges that come with having like a one-year-old in the house? Like obviously sleep is very important to high-performance athlete. Obviously that's been probably affected, right? Yeah, I mean right now he's great, but when he was first born, I'm so happy he was born basically in all, all off-season. Like if that would a spotty four hours of sleep at night. Um, it wasn't it wasn't great, but my wife is very understanding that when I had something when I had something important, she was she was on mat leave and she knew that I had to perform, um, that I would get to sleep throughout the night, um, and until until he was really terrible, then I would get up. Um, but she she let me sleep when I needed to, um, but definitely sleep got affected. But it's just. It's just kind of a way of life now that you wake up early to get them up, and now it's just it's just routine. Um, no, I think that's that's great, and that's uh, you know we've never really had someone on the on the pod who's had that perspective of, of having a newborn, or you know there's a lot of athletes on the on the national team um, through a bunch of different countries that have have kids, so it's really interesting to get that perspective and, and highlight the sort of you know like you said the um, the motivation to, to perform. 
because there's always you know there's always a little bit more in the tank. I, I like to think when it comes to uh, to playing. Yeah, it's one of those one of those things when I talk to other guys. It's like you are this is you're now a provider. Like this is your this is your job, and you think you treat it a little bit more of a performance job versus like I'm going out having fun. It's like I need to perform because if I don't perform, I can't feed my family. Yeah. What a way to look at it. You're way more of an adult than I am. <laughs> I've been growing up. I've been adulting so quickly. Man, <laughs> retweet that. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that a lot, of, uh, a lot of our listeners have been wanting me to ask you. You've always had a very interesting look when you've, when you've played. Uh, it started off with your hair. And yeah. for uh, a long time, you had probably the best hair on the beach. First off, how long did you go without a haircut, and how long was your hair? Um, I don't think I, I think I shaved my head in 2013. Maybe no, no, it was 2012. 2012, I shaved my head. Um, I did not get another haircut until 2015. So five years straight of just hair. Five years straight of hair. I might have got a couple of trims here and there, but it was. It was long. So you had you had good yeah, long hair for a while, and then it was real long. When and I, then when I finally got it cut, um, I donated I donated about twelve inches um, because I was like, you know what, I still got enough hair to like still put it up in a bun. Um, but my hair looked awful. It was like straight into like that awkward stage that I actually canceled practice the next day to go get a second haircut. <laughs> <laughs> So you doubled down after not going to for five years. Yeah. Um, so from from root to tip, at its longest, it was about twenty. I think it was twenty four or twenty six inches long. So it's a lot of hair. Um, it's a and, lot of hair. And when you cut your hair, you decided, you know what? I'm done with the hair on my head. I now want to put it on my face. And you've yeah. got this huge beard now. And apparently. Yeah. Uh, to be good at volleyball, you now need a beard because we have you, we have the McKibbins, Casey Patterson had a huge beard for a while, Sam Pedlow has a huge beard now, um, friend of the show Grant O'Gorman has a huge beard now. I wouldn't call his huge, but he's got, he's got, he's got a scruff. He's, he's got enough. He's got enough scruff. So, super, friend, super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon, has grow a beard, that's for sure. Simone Factu Boutin can grow a mean beard too. He wakes up with a beard after shaving. Um, what prompted the beard growth and when are we going to expect you to shave? Um, I do have an expected shave date, which might be breaking news. We like um, to break news on the pod, that's for sure. Yes. Um, what, prompted the, what prompted the beard was just... Uh, I got lazy and didn't want to shave, and it just kept going. Just kind of like the haircut. Lazy beach volleyball players, eh? That's new. Did, didn't want to get a haircut, so I grew it out, and now I didn't want to shave, so now i got a beard. Um, but I, I do have a planned beard shave. So when Kaysen is old enough to kind of recognize, recognize me completely, so maybe when he's two... I'm just going to come home one day and be completely shaved. And Clean just shaved. Nice. That, 
that's a parenting win right there. Scaring your child. <laughs> I like to think that's the best mode. I, I can already see this working. There's no way he's going to recognize no, it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. People, people don't even recognize me when I show them a photo of me without a beard. I gotta say, I like I like unbearded Mike a lot better than bearded Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, but moving on, you came off of a big result um, in the Pan Am Games in Lima, Peru, big fourth place, which is pretty close to sniffing out a medal, which is, uh, I think, a huge result in any multi-sport games. Uh, why don't we take us through that experience, starting with a bit of a, a road uh, block before you even got on the plane to go. You had a little bit of an injury leading up to a multi-sport game. I did. I did. Um, so if anybody's followed my Instagram stories of uh, what I do in my spare time, is I've been building a patio in my backyard. I think it was 15 days out of competition. I, uh, I decided to just drop a brick on my hand and uh, break my knuckle. So uh, that happened. Um, it happened on a Friday. I was like, no, nah, like, it's fine. I'm totally good. Uh, I tried to practice on Monday. Aaron threw me a ball. I tried to catch it, and I just winced in pain, and I could not do anything. Couldn't catch, couldn't set, could barely bump. I was practicing left-handed and, and and like passing with one arm, like it was just not possible. And this was like two weeks out of Pan Ams. Um, and that leading up to Pan Ams was the biggest emotional roller coaster I have been on in a very long time. Possibly the biggest. Um, so Monday, I found out that it was broken down on the roller coaster. Um, and then I get. I'm leaving to go to BC because we're supposed to play Vancouver Open. And when I get there, I see a plastic surgeon, and they say that they can make a make a plastic cast for me. Um, so then I get the plastic cast on, and it feels good to go. And then when I'm talking to all the doctors from Malibu, Canada, they're like, "Well, you're you've got a broken bone. Like it's four to six weeks to heal. Like, sorry, we can't we can't clear you to play. So back down on the roller coaster." Um, I practiced with it, I taped it up, I took painkillers, and I was like, you know what, Like, I'm, I'm going to test it out, I'm, I'm going to pepper, I'm going to play, pull out, even if it hurts a little bit, I'm just going to kind of lie to people and say, oh no, it's fine, it's all good. Um, so, um, then I go to Edmonton, and without being cleared from doctors, I just got the, at the end of the day, it's my decision if I wanted to play or not, and I wanted to play, and it felt funny setting, attacking, passing, doing basically every skill. Uh, the most nerve-wracking was blocking, because my hand is fully exposed to them hitting, um, but I had a lot of faith in the cast the doctors made, and it held up well, a couple hard balls off the hand that didn't feel so good, but... Um, yeah, I was able to kind of grind through it. And then going into Pan Ams, I felt pretty confident with with how my hand was feeling and um, how Aaron and I were playing as a team still. So, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> Speaking of little boy, he's, he wants to get on the podcast too. 
down the road. Twenty. We know what we're, we're in season twenty. I think we'll have to have him on. I know. Yeah, we're just not a charity podcast. He's got to be able to side out to be on yeah. this thing. <laughs> Too bad he might not be playing volleyball. Probably want to get him. Probably want to get him in a financially lucrative sport. <laughs> There's no money in that, in yeah. that sport. Um, so what was the biggest difference in Pan Ams from other multi-sport games that you've been to? You mentioned earlier that you've been to, uh, to Fisu uh, in China. What, uh, what was the biggest takeaway from your experience in, in Peru? Well, this... Um, so I've been to basically every level of multi-sport games now. I'm pretty proud to say that. Not a big so deal. I've been, to, <laughs> I've been to the BC Summer Games. Um, we had Western Canada Summer Games, I went to Canada Games, and then I went to the University Aid, and now I've been to Pan Am Games. So I've got one more multi-sport game that I really need to tick off, uh, which is the Olympic Games. Um, but I think with all the experience of other multi-sport games, you kind of, you kind of know what to expect a little bit. You know that there's going to be distractions with other people, other sports, um, lots of stuff going on, lots of people around, um, but it was kind of the, it was the, first, sorry, um, it was kind of the first multi-sport games that I, I kind of wasn't, I wasn't there to embrace the moment as much as focus on the performance. Um, when I went to University Aid or Canada Games and stuff like that, I was, I was, I was so wrapped up in like this is so cool, I gotta go to this multi-sport games that I was just caught up in everything. Um, this one I was really like, you know what, I'm here to perform. I'm here to play beach volleyball and do whatever I can to get a medal. So I think that was the difference in Peru than other other games. Cool. And, uh, you know, you've hit a, a bit of a break in your season now. What, uh, what can we expect from you to sort of round out the, uh, the calendar year? I, we know with uh, the FIVB schedule comes out in, uh, in late November, early December for the following year. So what do you have planned for the, for the end of your season, and how does it look uh, finishing up the year? Um, Aaron and I are probably going to get going in the sand uh, near the middle, middle of September, so in a couple weeks. Um, just to, we're going to gear it up a little bit for either the three-star in China or the four-star in Mexico, um, just to kind of close off the close off the year on, on a tournament like that, um, and then kind of prep for whatever schedule comes out in, in November to see, see when the World Tour schedule starts in 2020. Uh, I just want to circle back once to Pan Am. I just want to talk about the the way the schedule worked out because it looked like you guys were in the pool of death a little bit, and even your playoff draw. Like you, I think other than Brazil, you probably played every top team there, right? Yeah, it was uh, not an easy tournament, that's for sure. Um, we were. It was a pool of death, but it was also a little bit fortunate. Um, originally, I thought only two teams advanced out of the pool, so we were a little bit nervous, but. Uh, um, when we had, when we found out that three teams advanced, we were, we were like, okay, like we need to, we need to make sure that we take out Nicaragua in our first match, because um, they're probably the weakest of the weakest of the teams in the pool. Um, but they're a very good team. I hadn't seen them before. They're very scrappy, and they took, I think they took us to bonus points in both sets. Um, so that was a big scrappy win that we had first. Um, and then having Chile and Mexico, they're 
two teams that play regularly on World Tour. I think Chile's probably in the top top 15 in the world right now, so they're they're really strong. But the fortunate part about being in a pool like that is that you don't cross with those teams in playoffs um, until later until later rounds. So I knew going in that we were um, that we would have that we would have a tough first match and we played against a good U.S. team. Um, that we played, we played lights out. We we blocked well, dug well, timed out well. Like we were just fired up. Um, and I think that I think that's because of the quality matches that we played in our pool. Um, and it just kind of set the tone for the way that we're going to play for the tournament. And then going into, I actually didn't look at the draw whatsoever when we played that match. Um, I didn't know. I didn't want to know who we were going to match up with next. Um, it was either going to be Venezuela or Brazil. And uh, we got Venezuela, and I was a little bit happy about that because we, we played enough top teams that we could get a, a slightly easier quarterfinal. Um, but there, there's the one guy who's played on World Tour a bunch. She's been to a couple World Championships. Um, so they were, they were really good, really scrappy, again, going deep in a third set with them. Um, and then we had back to Chile in the semifinals and then uh, Argentina in the bronze. Yeah, nice. Sometimes it's hard to tell what to expect with Pan Am because I don't think the team list comes out too early. So when I saw it, like, first glance, I was like, man, like, this is a really good tournament. I was just hoping you guys didn't feel cheated by the draw or that your pool was too strong. It's good that you explained that it kind of worked out, right? Because you get quality matches at the start and then you don't cross over in a pre-quarter or a quarter with those teams, right? So it's frustrating. And the, the way that they're seeding those tournaments is all over the map and we were talking to the organizers, and they're they're trying to change it, but it's a slow-moving process. Yeah, I think uh, I think you've given out a lot of good stories and a lot of good insight into uh, into sort of your progression throughout the national team. We like to cap off every episode with uh, with a funny story. I know that you're one of our avid listeners, our avid subscribers, um, so you know of of all the good stories that we've had on on the pod so far. So if there's something that uh, that you have to share with our listeners that's just a funny experience or something ridiculous, I know that a good Norseka story seems to pop in every now and then. Uh, but anything comes to mind in terms of, uh, I mean, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening? Uh, I know that in episode one, I believe, Dallas actually took my favorite story, um, which was down in Guatemala. Um, for those of you who didn't listen you should go check out that episode i don't know what episode it was um, it's episode one not a big deal <laughs> that was episode one yeah there you go avid listener um so I'll, I'll touch briefly on that one so we were in guatemala and uh we were told to not leave the hotel because everything outside of the hotel is very dangerous um and we knew that we were in like district it was like the Hunger Games. We were in like District Six or District Seven or whatever it was. Um, I think it, I think we were in District Seven. And the next day, um, the newspaper comes into the lobby, and we're in District Seven. And it says, in District Eight, a guy got on a bus and shot everybody on the shot everybody on a transit bus. We're like, okay, that is not so cool that yeah i'm not leaving this hotel <laughs> um so that made us feel very safe um another like funny thing that happened i don't know um 
lots of good stories from Norseka. You know, different different items found in volleyball courts. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to prompt uh, Mr. Snake on this one, Mr. Ryan Vandenberg. We were playing down in St. Lucia, and we were about four or five matches into the tournament already, and they're they're playing like mid mid match, and I think. Snake and Aaron were playing together, and Snake like peels on a ball and he peels something on his foot, and he looks down in the sand. And I'm not even kidding, there is a nine-inch knife blade, <laughs> and that was like it was like five or six matches deep on that court in the tournament. That is. The worst thing I've ever seen on the volleyball court. And all they did, all they did with it was they took it, they they put it on the side and just resumed play. Like, oh, yeah. That's oh, a perfectly good knife. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for finding it. Now let's keep playing. Yeah, what are the odds? There's more knives yeah, in this court. There's just... one. There's surely not two. <laughs> That's wild, man. Um, well, we've uh, we've taken enough of your time here. We know you've uh, you've got a busy home life. Be sure to say uh, say hello to the wife and hello to the kid for us, and uh, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me. It's been a long long time coming. It's been a long time coming. All right, perfect, buddy. Good luck with the rest of your year. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mike. All right, bye. Bye. So, Josh, that was good friend of the show, Mike Plantinga. Um, great to have him on. Great for him to share some of his experience. And uh, like you said, everybody's got a little bit of a story, so it's good to it's good to highlight uh, you know guys who are uh, who've made it do really uh, you know really need to work to get there. Um, yeah, and first of all, I'm glad we finally got him because I feel like we've been chasing him for a while. But yeah, I hope our listeners learned a lot because I've I've known Mike for years and I've learned a lot. That's it's a lot to go through to be a professional athlete. Yeah, it uh, and you know, thank God we got the big box that uh, Beach Volleyball has to offer, or else why would anybody ever do it? Yeah, yeah, we kind of shifted gears into that podcasting. Thing, <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's all coming up roses for yeah, these guys. You know what? I don't think I don't know. I uh, I miss the lucrative lifestyle of being an FIVB Beach Volleyball player. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. We got Mike. As you mentioned earlier, you, if you're a big uh, Golden Bears fan, you can go back and listen to Eric Matson, Ben Saxton, or Chris Tao's episode to be our, our Golden Bears. Or if you want to check out uh, prior to Pan Am Games, I believe we had uh, Aaron Nussbaum on before they left for Pan Am Games, we right? We did. So. Um, and that's a good thing. You know, if you haven't, uh, if this is your first episode and you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to check us out on Podbeam, uh, Google Play, and the Apple Store. Um, wherever you get your podcast. We're on Spotify, and I didn't realize how popular Spotify was with the kids these days. As soon as we got on Spotify, those downloads, they just boomed. And uh, you know what? Speaking of those major platforms, if you or a friend would like to be on Passing Dimes as a sponsor, don't be afraid to hit us up. Goods and services. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram and Facebook pages, and uh, until next time, good, you? Yeah, not bad. Stay excellent, friends. Bye, Josh's mom. Bye, mom. <laughs>